What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com here with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 64. Thank you guys for tuning in today. And today we have a special guest joining us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Michelle Jen from Green Mill Supercritical. How are you doing today, Michelle? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am doing fantastic, man. Fantastic. And so we usually kick these off with a little bit of an introduction to yourself in regards to your history around the plant, the plant being cannabis. You don't have to share anything you don't want to share if it predates or, or you know, <laughs> get too vulnerable. So it could be kind of your history around the plant or just your history within this industry. Oh, gosh. So I was, a, you know, whether legal or not, a user for a long time. Um, it changed my life. I was able to get off antidepressants, anti-anxiety. I'm like super type A and high strung. And so, you know, I wanted to feel like myself and the plant, you know, gave me an opportunity to do that. And so I've always kind of looked for new and challenging experiences and, you know, in my career and we just kind of fit the bill. And so, you know, I met some of the guys over at Green Mill and found out what they were doing. And it was just really really different and exciting from anything that i'd ever seen before and so i begged for a job and here i am and i'm so happy to be part of this um especially because it's so new it's this new industry new people new opportunities new ways to help um and it's just it's awesome i really 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 love what i do um i'm happy to be here yeah no it, it is definitely an exciting industry and it's a very exciting time to be in an industry that is just like the road is being the road is being built in front of a car that is still being built is like often how i describe it and mm -hmm. very few things uh are, very few industries are this infant and, and i think that just makes it so much exciting or so exciting so what's a little bit of the origin of green mill supercritical obviously you guys make uh co2 extraction equipment but what, what's kind of the origin of the company so everybody um, that started the company was already kind of working with CO2 in some way. Um, and we thought that, you know, there's a huge opportunity here to just do something different. You know, I always say thank you to my competitors for kind of paving the way um, and introducing CO2 as an extraction solution. But as far as Green Mill, we just want to take that and run with it and really, really improve upon what CO2 can actually do in our space. Um, and so, you know, with that knowledge of CO2 extraction um, for chromatography, which is a super specific process, um, our company was like, hey, we can put this into extraction. It's not chromatography, but it's the most precise extraction you can do. It's safe. It's repeatable. Um, and because of the way that we design our systems and the strong platform it has just at the base, we're able to do some really, really cool stuff like real-time winterization where we don't have to use ethanol anymore and we don't even need to tack on the extra time to do it. Um, and so that's just an example of, you know, our dedication and passion to using CO2 is going to open up so many doors. And I think that this is, you know, just the beginning, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for, you know, the, the, the listeners out there that are more consumers and don't really quite understand the industry when you're smoking concentrates, that is the extracted form of, of THC and other cannabinoids from the cannabis plant. There is a variety of methods of doing that from butane to CO2 to solventless. Um, what are some of the common product and user products that come from your guys's equipment? 
So most commons, probably vape pens, edibles, tinctures, shatter. Um, you can really do it all. Live resin something that we're going to take a crack at here in a little bit too. Um, typically that's like a butane product. And so I think that it's possible with CO2. We just want to make sure that we're giving like the highest quality live resin with CO2 um, and not cutting any corners or, you know, just sort of marketing it as, as something that we want to be competitive with, but might not actually, you know, be a true one-to-one. -one. And what are, what are some of the benefits of using CO2 versus other methods? Oh my gosh, there are a ton of benefits. Um, it's low cost to operate. There's a, it's super safe and it's probably the most natural outside of like, you know, doing like ice water hash or something, right? Like there's nothing touching it other than CO2. And that's something that plants consume, our bodies produce. Um, and so it just makes for a really easy, safe, you know, efficient process. And yeah. And what are, what are some of your guys' standard uh, product offerings you guys have right now for equipment? So right now we make extraction systems from, you know, like a 7.5 liter, which is great for like a mom and pop operation, uh, great for R&D or even like just like small boutique sort of things. Um, but then we also go up to a 20 liter and controversial opinion here. I don't think anybody really needs to go above that. Um, mm. There are very few people that I think have a true need to, you know, operate these hundreds and thousand liter systems. Um, and I think that that's been kind of what's contributed to, you know, an oversupply of just product that's not really differentiated. I mean, you look at distillate and stuff like that. And I think I was listening to one of the episodes and somebody referred to it as hot dog water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard that other places too, you know, um, Everclear, whatever you want to call it. And so all of our product offerings, whether the smallest or the largest, we want to stay as true to the plant as possible so that you're getting all the full range of terpenes that people think, you know, CO2 can't get, um, or you're getting that full spectrum experience instead of stripping it down and making it something so far removed from where it really originated from. Yeah. And, and with, you know, and compared to, you know, butane, again, for people out there that don't understand the processes, when you make uh, extracts through butane, you're putting butane into the product and then it has to be burned off or I, I don't know the, the complete technical term what it's called burn burning off you know purging you know getting, <laughs> removing yeah. the butane from the final extract and so when I was reading about your guys's uh and watching the video on the real-time winter winterization technique um I am not as familiar with all of the technical parts of extraction I've probably been told it in laboratories many times but I I'm not an expert by any means but <laughs> what I took from it is traditional CO2 extraction, you still end up having to use an, uh, a, a solvent in there, right? To still clean it or, or purge it at the end, if that's the correct term on a traditional CO2 system. Yeah, absolutely. So to get as basic as possible, CO2 touches the plant and it takes out selectively what it wants to, you know, extract. But that also comes with some other things like waxes, say, or, you know, fat content. You don't really want that in your lungs most of the time. And so usually after you extract it, before you get to, say, your vape pen or your edible, you go into this long process. It costs a lot of money, costs a lot of time, but you're introducing ethanol, which is the opposite of what CO2 is really about, right? If we want to be natural, let's go all natural. And so now we put the plant in, CO2 hits that material at certain conditions, and what comes out goes, you know, straight into a vape. And so you guys are saying your your pro the process and there's a patent pending process. 
removes this extra needed step afterwards afterwards was obviously cost effective for the producer or manufacturer but then it could also potentially be a product differentiator for the end consumer yeah absolutely i mean obviously there's benefits to the actual processing but think about it as a consumer it's like um I don't know. It's it's like organic chips versus not, or like baked Cheetos versus regular Cheetos, which I'm not going to discriminate. I like both of them. But <laughs> one has, you know, stuff that you might not want to put in your body. Um, and it's all down to the way that it's made or what goes into it or, you know, the processing behind it. And that's what's kind of crazy. Like right now, it's still so new, like the legal side of things, right? We're all used to kind of paying somebody, you got what you got. Um, but now I feel like because of the way that things are moving, people should and can ask, you know, how did this get in there? How was it made? You know, a couple, what was it like a year or two ago was Vapegate and mm -hmm. it was a huge deal because I think it really kind of scared people into considering the fact that like, you can't always trust what people say, you know, you have to back that shit up with numbers and data. And so to me, if you have a one-step process that leaves way less room for you know, anything harmful to enter the uh, production sort of stream than it would if you had like a, I don't know, even three or four step process, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, on, on that tip too, with, you know, when it comes to concentrates, it, you know, consumer safety, like under being able to trust quality and trust, you know, the, the safety of a product and what's in a product um, is definitely the utmost concern for, for the end consumer, or it should be. So a lot of consumers, you know, a lot of people don't care what they put in their body um, and, a, and a lot of different fields and industries, you know. Um, yeah. But what are some of the steps that you guys feel like you've taken on creating a, uh, creating this equipment that ensures that it, it's putting out consistent quality and something that's safe on the other end? And then how do you guys work with, you know, your guys' clients and customers to ensure that they're using these machines correctly? So... Honestly, the biggest factor in creating that sort of like high quality product is the flower itself. Our systems, the reason why they're so trustworthy and repeatable, dependable is because of all the automation. Um, there was this like whole culture of extraction artistry, which I still really respect. And I think that it needs to stay in the industry, but there are other ways to utilize tools and, you know, a better and more um, sort of updated way. And so, you know, everything on our system is automated, but it doesn't mean that you don't have that creativity or flexibility. It just means that you're using a scalpel instead of a butter knife to, you know, kind of do these um, procedures, whatever you want to call them, because you can change temperature on the fly. And that has an effect on the way that you extract, you know, whether you're doing it quickly or if you want to do slow and low, those kinds of things. But it's also great for brands that, you know, have, I don't know, maybe a couple different states that they have product in. If we can send you a system, you know what the input is, and we can exactly match those, you know, recipes, it leads to success for everybody involved, you know, the operator and the end user, because you know exactly what you're getting. Because there is some variability. You you go state to state and, you know, the effects or the taste or whatever it might be, sometimes even quality, you know, we want to make sure that we eliminate as much human error as possible. Yeah. And that, that's definitely a huge, I mean, we're, I think a lot of consumers have a hard time grasping and understanding cannabis is agriculture good. And with anything that's agriculture good, certain batches are going to, even under the most pristine controlled indoor circumstances, crop to crop is going to vary, you know, wash right. to wash on hash is going to vary extraction run from extraction run. It's going to vary slightly, you know, it's not ever going to be without 
you know, be identical to the past. But the goal is always exactly. to make it as consistent and, uh, and identical as, as possible. And that's definitely, uh, you know, some of these brands that have scaled from state to state have, mm -hmm. you know, from consumer facing reviews have faced that issue of, of inconsistent quality. Um, right. When you guys bring new customers into the lineup or sell, sell uh, equipment to new people or, or just, I guess, start exploring down that road, what are some of the first steps that you guys look at in working to make sure you have the right system for them? So I always ask them who their product is going to. And you'd be honestly probably surprised that a lot of people have no answer to that question. And so that's the most important thing, right? Like this is the foundation, like the heartbeat of your like extraction operation. If you don't have a quality extractor or even a right sized extractor, it's going to cause ripple effects down the road for you. And so, you know, you take a look at what's been going on and you see, even if you look at the used market, you see these like massive systems or just things that aren't appropriately sized. And so I kind of do the opposite in my process. We figure out who it's going to, and then we figure out the sort of bare minimum of what we need to do. Because a lot of things are embellished in this industry. I'm sure you're aware. Mm. Everybody kind of knows like I've got the best stuff or, you know, we do the best process, but really most people are just doing a variation of the same thing or the exact same thing. Right. And so what we do is make sure that the system fits, that you're going to get the best use out of it, that it's not going to sit idle and that, you know, it's truly going to do what they needed to do. Because if somebody comes to me and says, you know, we just want to make as much product as quickly as possible, I, I typically turn them away. It's not that they can't use my system, but we really, really want that high quality product at the end of the day. And so if somebody's just looking to just rip through um, flour, usually not the best fit just culturally because we have you know super strong relationships with our existing customer base um i think that you know one of the biggest differentiators for green mill is that we teach our technicians how to set those recipes and truly work with that plant instead of just saying well you know here's xyz plug it in and see what happens and then figure it out from there like no we want to have people that can seriously utilize the system to create whatever they want to create. Um, and we want to help them to do that. And I mean, and and there's various reasons that make that that style of business important. You know, it leads to more word of mouth, mm -hmm. leads to better case studies. Um, and so what are, what are some of the ways like hands on once someone has equipment and they start going, or you guys stay in contact with them to make sure everything's going right, their needs are met? And, and what's kind of that that communication with your guys' clients after systems are set up? So usually we spend a day on site with them and then we talk probably every day for a good, like, I would say up to two weeks after we do an installation. Most of the time, just because we want to be totally on the ball, whether they know what they're doing or not, we want to be proactive in making sure that they're getting what they need. Because um, even if you know what you're doing, it's still a new piece of high pressure equipment. And so we want them to feel safe. So it's always nice to have somebody in your corner. Um, but even after that, I mean, some of my customers have become almost like family. And that's really why I love working for Green Mill in the first place. Like we're a smaller company. Um, you know, we're in about 50 plus labs, not as much, you know, or as large as some of these other companies. But I think that, you know, our customer base is extremely loyal. You don't really find anything, you know, yucky about Green Mill out there. Um, and we just have solid systems. I mean, I run or we run our first system ever built. It's almost six years old, I think, over six years old, maybe. Um, in our shop every day. And I think that, you know, keeping our hands on the product and really understanding, you know, where we can take it 
also helps our customers so that we can say like, hey, maybe you should try this out. I know that, you know, you're trying to do a high terpene, you know, I don't know, vape product or tincture product. And it's like, oh, that's cool. And so that's the kind of knowledge sharing that I think really is lacking in the industry because um, nobody wants to share their trade secrets, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants to, you know, give anybody recipes. And I get that portion, but we're kind of at this really critical point in cannabis where if we don't start helping each other in that way, I think it's just going to hurt us in the long run. You know, you're the second person to say that. I just said it completely different in a great way, by the way. But second person to say that this week of that, the importance of this industry, you know, the industry comes from the black market where mm -hmm. you don't talk, you know, you don't talk, you don't post online, you don't share. It's very secretive for good reason. But it, it kind right. of birthed from that culture and it's bled over into legalization. And like you alluded to earlier, everyone has these high standards or thoughts of their product. Um, and I can tell you from going to so many, you know, I could go at a, in a commercial facility where there's 10 grows and I could go to each grow and they'll all say, this is the same thing that separates us from everyone else, but they're all saying the same thing. It's very, it's very common. Exactly. Um, but that's <laughs> Which, like, Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say like, you have to believe in what you're doing, but come on. Absolutely. But the sharing of information and knowledge like that helps move this industry forward. And that's like in like what you're saying is so important. We we live so long in this stig stigma, this world that was riddled with a negative stigma and nobody sharing and speaking, you know, even pesticides yeah. and what went into product like that conversation wasn't mainstream. I mean, mainstream within the cannabis industry until legalization came came about. And there's still so many more conversations that once we start having them kind of collaboratively and sharing these ideas, we can keep moving that needle forward, which will bust open the ceiling for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was kind of crazy, right? MJ Biz was just a couple months ago. And I, quite frankly, I always dread going. Like, it's a lot of talking, um, which is what I do for a living anyway. But the face-to-face -face and just everything going on, it's kind of exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, being kind of the small fish in this ocean of, you know, opportunity, um, not a lot of people always hear about Green Mill. We're pretty quiet um, and word of mouth is really what gets us, um, you know, into new labs and whatnot. But when we got there, it was cool because every single CO2 extractor was forced to talk about real-time winterization. Like, I think that, you know, me personally, I'm kind of tired of being quiet about what we can actually do on this side of the equation. Um, I think that it's been a really predatory environment. Um, you know, these companies sell these systems that really don't do what they say they can do, or, you know, they do a fraction of what they could, you know, say they can do. And it's just not fair. And so we've kind of forced the CO2 industry's hand and said like, hey, you know, while you guys were kind of, you know, calling attention to other processes that really don't apply to CO2 extraction for cannabis, like co-solvent, right? You really don't need that if your system can hold conditions properly. Um, instead of doing that, like, why don't we use just CO2? Now everybody's like, oh, we've got real-time winterization coming. And I'm like, yeah, but we have it now. <laughs> and so it's just, it's kind of exciting. And, and that was going to be one of my questions is, you know, I was mm -hmm. at MJ Biz this year. It was overwhelmingly large. <laughs> the trade show floor <laughs> was just overwhelming is the only way I can describe it. Like even just walk, I didn't even walk the majority of the floor because you just Me look either. up and be like, Jesus, this is major. It was big. <laughs> but with so many companies there selling equipment and there's a lot in the extraction space, I, that was one of my questions is what are, what are you guys done to 
kind of stand out in a crowded field, obviously being a smaller player, but in a crowded field, especially like a trade show like that is what are some of the ways that you guys have, have made an effort to stand out? So it's a number of things, right? And I proved that it worked because literally I think Hashatron, which shout out to them, really nice guys, but they brought a massive storage container. And so you literally couldn't see our booth unless you knew we were there. Um, and I think, you know, how we stand out has been through the relationships that we've made with, you know, reputable consultants, with companies that love our product and, you know, our service, because then people start to find us. Like, it was so cool. I got to talk to people that were like, you know, I've been watching you guys for like three or four years, or, you know, you and I have been emailing back and forth for like two years and I'm sending all my buddies over. Like, I think probably over 50% of the people that came and saw us were referrals. And so it just, it's creating those strong relationships. But then the other flip side of that is we have those strong relationships because we're trustworthy, because we're probably one of the only extraction companies that is willing to show the data, even the stuff that might not look as great. You know, like when we were developing real-time winterization, we had some efficiencies that we needed to improve. And so we shared where we were, we shared where we wanted to be, and now we're there. And so I think that People aren't used to seeing the numbers around that kind of stuff, like percentages of wax content or, you know, whatever it is, whatever measurement. And a lot of people don't understand it. But the fact is, it's there. We lead with that. And we don't say, you know, we don't talk about anything in extremes, right? We want to do everything conservatively, realistically, because you don't make a business plan on the absolute best case scenario. Mm -hmm. It should be absolute worst case scenario. And so it's kind of the approach we take. I love that. I've put together many of budgets for many of projects. And that's my my <laughs> yeah. personal, especially if I'm putting my own money up, is like, can this work? In the worst case scenario, what will it look like? <laughs> All right, we're good to go. Anything above that is just icing on the cake. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, back to the real-time winterization is how long did that process go from like having this idea, hey, this might be something worth exploring to like, all right, we have a viable product. So it's crazy, right? The idea was from years and years ago. Um, our director of R&D, Jesse Turner, he's been a CO2 extraction guru, and he'd hate me for saying that because he's not like a flashy guy. Um, but kudos to you, Jesse. You're doing a great job. Um, it was like a, a dream of his to make this a reality. And there were actually several really large companies that were like, no, we don't need to do that because what we're doing right now works. Hmm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's like, but what if we could make it infinitely better, right? And so the second Jesse was available for hire, we brought him on to Green Mill and gave him an opportunity. And so it was probably within, I would say, four to six months that we were ready to productize, which wow. is insane. And so it really speaks to working as a team, I think. Like we have this really cool company culture where like one of our values is ideas over ego. Like it doesn't matter who you are like your opinion matters. And so we all just flow really well together. Um, but then you look at the fact that like the actual system that we produce was also one of the biggest reasons why he's able to do what he did for us um, and for the industry, really. I mean, this is seriously groundbreaking technology. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before people really start to catch on that, you know, it's not a myth, it's not a unicorn, it's here. And there's other, you know, better things even coming down the line. And for that, just so I, you know, I, I understand it correctly, is that something that's built, a process that's built into the machines you guys offer, or is it an added on service or, or process? So it's a module. Um, you can okay. add it on to existing systems, which is great. 
um, because our current customer base, if they ever wanted to utilize it, no problem. Um, but yeah, so some people really want to use it. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense, especially for startups um, or if you're going after, you know, a specific like type of product, like, you know, fully organic, high terpene, you know, full spectrum, hopefully soon live resin, um, CO2 oil. Um, but then, of course, there's other, you know, larger companies who already have existing winterization um, sort of setups. And, you know, on a very small scale, that particular set of equipment um, and space is a minimum of like 150K that you have to spend. Mm -hmm. And it costs like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to operate. And there's loss involved, right? And so even those companies that are like, you know, it really doesn't fit for me now. Those are the companies that expand into other markets. And that's when they'll bring this in. Right, because they've already invested in something. And so, but that's, right. but that's like a thing for you. I don't know if you guys, I mean, it's probably a lot of variables to run the numbers. At what point does it, does it break even, right, of investing in a new module, but you save money on labor time process, right? It depends. Yeah. I mean, right now it's, it's been kind of an exercise to get people to see it. And I truly think it's because it almost sounds unbelievable. Mm. Like you're talking thousands of dollars instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're talking 0 0.001 loss instead of 5% loss like people are used to. Um, you know, I just did a call with a company the other day and they were like, oh yeah, our efficiencies are great. You know, we're we're only losing like 3%. And I was like, well, what if you could lose 0%? Year over year, that adds up, you know? Um, and people get kind of bug-eyed. And so I think it's really important for people to see it touch it, feel it. And, you know, with this first round of installs, you know, hopefully our customers will be open to showing it because um, it's really, really exciting. And I think that, you know, the extraction world is narrowing and CO2 hopefully will come out on top or somewhere near the top. Right. But there's always something new around the corner. So we've got to stay agile. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think CO2 is definitely carving that name as, you know, BHL really set the tone and at least mm -hmm. my introduction to extraction. Well, that was pre, you know, legalization. And yeah. thinking back <laughs> at that BHL I looked at, I, you know, I'm scared from my future self's health <laughs> of what I ingested. Um, but CO2 seems to produce a much cleaner, cleaner product, you know, with less solvents and which with the method you guys are working on, it sounds super, is super intriguing. Again, for someone that un understands a little bit of the science, it's yeah. just super intriguing from, a, you know, from the cost perspective. But again, the, the loss perspective is that's startling. You guys, so you said that your real deal is like 0 0.00, what, what would you say? Yeah, it's like, it's virtually none. I think we have like a 99.98 efficiency in recovering cannabinoids, which is just nuts. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. And I mean, we're doing color remediation. Um, and so the oil's coming out, you know, a beautiful color consistency. Um, if you want flavor neutral oil, we can pull that too, because it's so efficient at pulling off all those terps in the beginning. Like you have a ton of flexibility. It just, it's crazy because people are so hesitant to embrace new things, even though everybody's kind of like, we're all just trying to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that there were certain things floating around in the extraction space um, from other manufacturers that really kind of slowed this success down um, just because it has been promised for a long time. And this is the first time that any company has been able to really deliver it because it's always like, oh, yeah, we've got waxless. It's like, well, what percent is left? And they're like, oh, you know, like two. 
And it's like, no, it has to be zero. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so tired of false advertising. It makes my job very difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can, I can definitely see that. So for you guys with, with bringing on new clients and new business, um, mm -hmm. are you guys seeing more traction in new and emerging markets or is it more of the existing markets? It's mostly new and emerging, I think, because people are able to look at the sort of mistakes um, and the good things that have happened in other um, in other markets. But these new and emerging markets, I always tell them, like, you can do things the same cookie cutter way as everyone else. You have to make sure you have the best flour. You have to make sure that you have the best technicians who actually know what they're doing in formulation. But what if you could have a completely sort of novel process mm -hmm. and all of those things? You need a leg up. I mean turnover is already high, but even like, that's why you see all these extraction systems on the used market, right? Businesses go under every day. And so if you don't have a solid plan from the beginning, if you're not selecting the right equipment and that right equipment has to also have the team behind it to support its use. And that's really, really what's important. And so, yeah, in these new markets, real-time winterization is really the only configuration that I'm selling. Um, there's very few people that want to do it the traditional way anymore. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's something I've learned just through my travels. Of I was just out in Massachusetts for the first mm -hmm. time. Uh, I don't even know a month ago. I've been on the road so much. I, I don't know a month ago, <laughs> two months ago. But uh, in visiting some of the facilities there, that was definitely something that stood out to me. Was like seeing some of these products that I've been seeing for six or seven years on the West Coast. But some of the you know the few like you know, okay, you know, if that were improved, it would be even better. You know, a yep. couple of those points, I saw some people on the East Coast having those products without that. And that was when I asked them, they're like, well, we just were, you know, thankfully we have six years of someone else's data and, and you know, <laughs> mistakes and successes to look at to now yep. set our system, you know, build it off, off of the, you know, off, the, off of their back, not in a negative way, but, you know, and, and it's really impressive to see what people can do within a new state or a new market. The opera, I guess the, the opportunities that they're afforded with starting out with this information, as opposed to, yeah. you know, I live in Washington, we're the second state to have recreational cannabis. Like you didn't, you went from a garage or a house to, yeah. you know, 30,000 square foot facility. There was no model to base it off of. Right. And that's super, yeah, that's super interesting. And so for how many of these, these people that you guys are setting up facilities, how do you feel like a lot of your guys' customers are new to the extraction space or they have that experience, they're just new to the market that they're bringing them in? It's honestly a pretty mixed bag. Um, I think that it feels like there's a lot of people that have no idea what they're doing um, just because I feel like the word consultant in this industry is a little bit looser than you might find in others. And so even these experienced teams, sometimes they're one of the more difficult customers to work with because they come with some habits that maybe don't work with our process, you know, or mentality around how we do this type of extraction. Um, Cause at least for CO2 specifically for a long time, there was like, oh, you've got to feel it and you've got to touch the knobs and you've got to do this. Well, we've taken that away. So if you don't actually understand the science of what's going on and you don't have a team supporting that, it's kind of almost brand new, right? it's a totally different way of doing this. And so, you know, the new guys that do come on board, which there are quite a few of them, I think um, the way that we teach and the way that we're so hands-on is really exciting to see them, you know, grow. I mean, take Massachusetts, for example, super competitive market, biomass is like wicked high. It's mm -hmm. like disgusting how expensive it is really. Um, and our customer 
I think took three different categories, first place in vapes, or I'm sorry, edibles, and I think also two different vapes um, for high times against all the big guys. And it's just a father-son team, you know, that has the system and was really passionate about, you know, learning and really embrace the training that was provided um, by us and some experts that we introduced them to. And, you know, that just is kind of a testament to the tool and, you know, where you can really take this stuff if you're doing it right from the beginning. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that you, you know, is I'm not a stranger to hearing is being able to train someone new as opposed to retrain bad habits yeah. <laughs> can sometimes be a, a little bit easier, you know, no matter what you're talking about. Right. Um, and for yourself, um, you know, working in the cannabis industry is, is no stranger that the cannabis industry is, is a male dominated industry is a Caucasian male dominated industry, <laughs> uh, which I happen to be a part of that, so that demographic I'm adding to the yeah. statistic. But, you know, recently there's been some, I, I've read a couple good pieces from some, some females I know in the industry, just about some of the downsides of that in the industry. And we've been interviewing quite a bit of women and, and just talking about their experiences of being in a male dominated industry. Do you, how much of that is noticeable to you coming from a woman's standpoint and how much of it is like a negative side or is it kind of indifferent to you? So it's kind of comical to me um, and it's very noticeable. I mean, my whole career, I, I was in the military. Um, I worked in the automotive industry. Like I'm no stranger to playing like in the big boy sandbox, whatever they want to call it. Um, but in my personal experience in cannabis, I laugh because I've, <laughs> I've literally had people come up to our booth. Um, it was like 2019 MJ Biz, and they were like, well, I want to talk to the dude in charge. And I was like, okay, well, that's me. And they were like, no, 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 like the dude. And I was like, all right. And the closest guy standing near me was our supply manager who has like no idea how to operate the system. And they're asking him all these questions. And he's literally turning to me like, Michelle, what pressure ranges does it hold? Michelle, what can you do here? And I'm giving him the answer and then he's spitting it back to them. And so maybe the industry's changing because nobody asked to talk to the dude this year. They were asking to talk to me. And so <laughs> that was kind of exciting. Um, but it's just, it's just like anything else, right? Like that's just kind of the nature of any workforce these days. And as a woman, it's really exciting to be at the forefront of not only like this exciting technology, but also just representing, you know, minority groups. And it's just, I don't know, this is, it's part of what drives me. Um, my grandma recently passed and like, it's just been more and more apparent to me how much of an impact she had on my life because you can't be 40 years old and move to a brand new you know country speaking no english with six daughters you know and make it without like that kind of gumption and i think that that's really what i want to bring to green mill and the industry in general is just like we can grind it out um but it'd be nice if we could all make it a little easier on each other too absolutely and for me you know dude is a non-gender conforming term <laughs> i call inanimate objects dude yeah. you know well but that is that is definitely sad and it's it's you know we've heard a lot of these stories um and it seems you know i've been interviewing most of the women i've been interviewing and talking about this like either come from a similar background where they've been in mm -hmm. male dominant industries where they're like yeah i notice it but like it's it's my average everyday life and i always mm -hmm. feel like so guilty for being a man when these conversations Aww. happen i'm like god damn it why did, why did these guys have to be like this so so just you know i laugh because it's just like it's so it's uncomfortable and yeah. it's 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 funny honestly 
like it's not funny but it's just like it's like that like <laughs> kind of nervous yeah. laugh like is this really happening i just can't comprehend that people <laughs> that that's how someone would would actually operate so for for you coming from these other industries to cannabis like what is what is like what is it about cannabis i mean you shared a little bit at the start of just your your mm -hmm. your passion around the plant but what is it about cannabis that really stands out in terms of like this is an industry that you're like this is my home this is i you know i like this industry as opposed to these other industries like what's what's kind of been the differentiator for you um i feel like there's a chance to be somewhat of a pioneer and like you could go into say cars but you really can't do much better because it's already all kind of been figured out Cannabis is a totally new frontier, but then you think about it too. And there's this natural segue from, you know, cannabis legalization to psychedelics. And that's also a huge opportunity. Um, and I think it'll be really exciting to see what psychedelics, you know, take from cannabis and, you know, change in the way that they sort of grow up their industry. Um, and I would hopefully like to be a part of that at some point. And so I love both. Um, but yeah, cannabis is just, it's, Mm, it's just new and that's terrifying but i kind of like that i might be a little sick in the head for it <laughs> <laughs> no the, the opportunities are endless and you know and yeah. cannabis has been like this community base like the community is what used to share in cannabis pre-legalization the community mm -hmm. uh, and i i sound like a broken record now because i've said the same thing a lot of times lately but the community is what what brought this this from a plant into an actual you know made it into an industry push push legalization you know the community aspect yeah. has been so important to this um and and it's about you know people talk about righting wrongs and and making i don't know turning this thing legal right and, and being on the right side of history but you know back to just representation and stuff what are some things that you feel like are important for this industry to keep in mind to stay on not only the right side of history of just destigmatizing the plant but also making sure that we play the right role in equality and just equal representation across race and gender oh gosh that's a um, deep question so don't, don't it is know. a deep question <laughs> i mean you already really see it happening there's all these opportunities for just new companies to start women-owned companies, veteran-owned companies, minority-owned companies, you know, and I think that that's just like the most basic way to, to kind of answer it is you start something new, you say, I'm going to make a commitment to, you know, broadening those opportunities for, you know, underrepresented people, and then you stick to it. Um, it's the, it's the bullshit that like Chick-fil-A does, you know, every pride month, like every company is like, Oh, pride, pride, pride. And then it just disappears. Mm. But if you're able to just build it from the ground up, instead of having to kind of slap a bandaid on something that's already messed up, you know, um, I think that we have a higher chance of success in, you know, inclusion and, and diversifying. Yeah, no, those, those are, those are great points. I think it's definitely, it's up to the industry to, to ride its own you know, right the wrongs that have been done by the war on drugs and, and, uh, you know, beyond just a, a marketing, like you said, like with pride month, beyond just a marketing standpoint of right. like people really doing the right thing. You know, we see social equity is such a huge, huge topic on, on the East for some reason on the East coast, you know, mm -hmm. I, again, I live in Washington. We've been around, I don't know, legal weed seven years at this point. They're somehow figuring out a way to put out social equity. Now, seven years in the game, they're going to fuck it up royally. I, would bet a lot of money on it um but you know the east coast it, it, the east coast i like a lot of people have said this this i don't know how to say it exactly but the statement of we can't talk about 
legalization without talking about righting the wrongs of the war on drugs, which which I, I they, they say that conversation needs to happen hand in hand rather than legalize and then have the conversation after. Exactly. And I will point to the, my home state as a prime example of, you know, why you, you actually do a disadvantage. So with with all this chatter of, of social equity, um, do you feel like a lot of it in this industry is just from the marketing standpoint or you feel like there's a lot of people really looking to make progress and, and do right? No, I think that I've, at least in the connections that I've been able to make, there are some really seriously genuine people in cannabis. Um, I think that there's like a common struggle that we all have in just like getting this off the ground. And so it's humbling and, you know, it really brings out like a sort of, I don't know if you want to call it sensitive, but we have to give a shit about each other a little bit more than other places. And so, yeah, I, I just, it's really exciting. Um, to know that we can all be a part of that. Um, but like you said, we have to make sure that like it isn't marketing. Um, I'm sure that there's companies in cannabis that are like that, but I, I don't think it's nearly as as much of an issue as it is, you know, outside of our world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think again, as it goes back to this as a community and the community's got to make sure it's looking out for it. And, there, and thankfully there mm -hmm. are quite a bit of people out there that are, it's got to continue to amplify those, those voices and, and these platforms. Um, you know, back back to to the world of extraction. What do you feel like is the next kind of phases and steps in the extraction side of this business? I think that it'll just be cutting out more and more steps. Really, um, who wants to spend a million dollars to start a lab? What if you could do it with just a couple pieces of equipment? Um, and not only just sort of shrinking down the lab size, but also just sharpening the tool even more. Um, you know, you go from one version to the next version, it just gets better and better and better. Um, and so that'll allow us to, you know, extract different types of botanicals, maybe extract, you know, cannabinoids that are a bit more rare, um, instead of just sort of doing blanket extractions in certain situations and whatnot. And so, yeah, I just, real-time winterization is a huge deal but it's not the last thing um, that you'll see from Greenmill or really anyone else. I mean, this is just sort of, I think, setting the pace. Um, I really truly think of it as like lighting a fire under CO2 extractions, but like it's needed it for a long time. We've needed to shake things up. Um, I just think that there's not enough room for all of us. And so I only want to play with the serious people. Mm. And so if people are seriously wanting to innovate, then they'll step up to the plate like we have. And with that, you know, this constant pursuit, pursuit of innovation, right? Is that something mm -hmm. that you guys feel like Green Mill is, is committed to, just the constant pursuit of, of continual innovation? Yeah, it's actually, it's like one of our pillars. Like, you can't work for Green Mill unless you are that way. Um, intellectual curiosity, um, a willingness to try new and difficult things, like, those are the top of the list. And so if everybody from, like, the accountant to the production team, to myself, or really anyone on the team, as long as we all keep that in mind, I feel like those are the companies that are, have, you know, a real chance to make a difference. When you have, um, you know, people that bring ego into the situation, or they just want to sort of brag about, you know, oh, I engineered this and I did that, like, it doesn't benefit the customer at the end of the day. Like we have to operate, what do we say? Like with no light between our shoulders, hmm. you know, shoulder to shoulder, same pace, same vision all the time. And that's, I think what we do on a daily basis. 
And what, what do you think is the root cause of innovation? Where, where's a lot of the innovation or like those, these ideas, where, where do you feel like they stem from? And again, that's, that's probably a broad question, but. Well, we're a big group of weirdos and that's absolutely where it stems from. Like we have people who like in their spare time, their hobby has been to like literally make a crane that like hangs from their bedroom ceiling to pick things up, automated, put them back so that they don't have to clean. Like those are the kind of people that we have working in Greenville. <laughs> and so if you think about it from that way, like I'm probably the least interesting of the whole bunch. Um, like there's, it's inevitable. Innovation will happen if you have the right group of people. Uh, we, we had a comment. He said, like, like for the weirdos. So <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love that because I, I always classify myself as like a nerd and I classify it in a, in a good term, right? Like growing up, you know, yeah. you didn't want to be a nerd, but like, as you get older, like whatever you nerd out about or really nerd into that just becomes such an asset, you know, it means you really know something you're really passionate about it. Like if someone else doesn't share that passion, they're going to be like, slow down, man. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> you're going all the way over here. Um, exactly. And so what, what is it for you guys, just like a, when you guys have these ideas and start sharing them, what does that generally look like? Is it a group setting? Does someone start testing it and bring something or, or, or how's that, how's that kind of those conversations start? Um, oh my gosh. Well, it depends on who's starting it, right? Like our founder is like, he's like a genius. He's, he'll, he's always thinking about a million different things and he'll like run by somebody's desk and be like, blah, 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 blah. Like we should do this. And then he zooms away and it's like the next thing, but we have like a big brain board. Like there's tons of ideas. We have an ever growing list of R and D projects that we want to tackle. Um, it's just about prioritizing. And so I think honestly, a challenge of, you know, working with a group of people like this is how do we prioritize so that the customer benefits first mm. and it's not just like a fun sort of thing. And so we have to have, you know, extreme focus when we're doing these types of um, like this type of R and D planning. So there's a lot of like, you know, structured meetings around it, which isn't always fun, but you're talking about fun stuff. So it makes it worth it. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I, I know with any business, you know, I, I we don't dwell in the, the world of content, which I always explain is like just never ending. There's never like a cap where you're like, oh, this is our idea. Like it's it's always forever increasing in, infinitely. Um, but some of those whiteboards or notepads, you know, they get so long <laughs> and it's difficult to. All right. What, how do we bump something out or move it up? But I love that you guys think like cust customer first. Coming up with creative ideas and innovating is great, but then looking at that and seeing what's going to impact our customers yeah. the most. I mean, it has to make sense, right? Like the equipment already costs a lot. And you think about it, any improvement is going to be probably a bump up in cost or build material or something. And people are going to feel that on the other end. And so if we're going to make an improvement, we I have to feel honest in asking somebody to invest in it. It's not like I want the system to like flip around automatically or wheel itself down the hallway. Like that's not useful, but you know, going from a 45 minute change over time between sessions to a three minute change over time, that's useful. That's worth investing in. And so those are the kind of things where it's like, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we could do. We could probably make a spaceship if we wanted to, but we don't need that. We just need to pull oil out of plants the best that we can um, so that we get an excellent experience at the end of the day. And then with your guys' CO2 extraction, are, are you guys simply just focused on the cannabis space or you guys also dive into other industries as well? 
right now, um, our focus is cannabis just because I think that that's where my passion is and mm -hmm. I'm sales. Um, but honestly, it's where we get the most um, like ingredient from. But, you know, hops, we have a pretty big presence there um, with some profound companies um, doing that. And then there's other nutraceutical companies, so essential oils and whatnot. Um, mm. It's been a little bit slower on that front because I think that there are other way less expensive, more traditional ways of doing it. But take agar wood, for example. It's basically this really cool wood that gets like infected through this natural process. And the infection creates this oil. It's called oud oil at the end. Um, and it's very, very low quantity in the actual wood. And so the extraction process has always been a bit inefficient and there's also not a lot to pull out. So we recently did an experiment with it and yielded incredible results. Mm. And now it's crazy. We went from having like maybe one inquiry about agar extraction or agar wood extraction, I don't know, every nine months to I get one maybe once every couple weeks. Mm. Um, and so I'm starting to see a shift. I think that people are starting to notice that there are better ways to do it. And um, even from that sort of uh, side of things, like take oud oil extraction, right? Like there's a lot of family businesses that are extracting that way. And so the parents were running those operations. But now I think we're getting to the age where, you know, 30 year olds are coming in and saying, all right, pops, we got to we got to improve our process and improve our um, product and probably look at some new technology. So it's it's cool to be a part of that, too. Yeah, and, and I was actually one of my questions was on the hops front. So I'm glad that you brought that up is, mm -hmm. you know, as I've learned just doing this content on the cannabis side and, and nerded out on the science and learned about terpenes and extraction, you know, terpenes are something I never knew. You know, cannabis brought my understanding of terpenes and extracting them and then doing some work with some craft beer companies. They started talking about extraction and terpenes. I was like, wait, you guys do that, too? And um, I was like, oh, man, this is like this thing about that I learned from cannabis applies to so many different spaces. So have just out of curiosity, because I haven't got to ask this question to anyone in the extraction space is has kind of the, the technology and the innovation around cannabis specifically, has there been benefits of that that then have gone on to other industries or has it been this techniques that are, have existed in these other industries and cannabis is benefiting from it? Um, I think for our equipment specifically, um, we offer just a different way to do it. Um, to this point, you know, a lot of these hops extraction um, sort of operations have been using really, really massive systems that have been sort of just the way they are for a very long time now. And so we work with a company that has one of our pilot scale um, systems, and they're able to do a ton of R&D. They've got um, they supply a lot of beer companies across the country, in, you know, in the world. Um, and so to have the flexibility to do different varieties of hops and do smaller batches or, you know, play with the fractionation, which is basically just, you know, separating different types of oil from one extraction, um, we can collect those all at once. And so it gives them more flexibility. Um, I don't know if it's like changing the way that they're making beer, but it's, creating efficiencies in, mm. you know, the process of, of which, you know, you find out what works and what doesn't work. Um, yeah, I think, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, de <laughs> de definitely. I just, like I said, you know, I got introduced it through can like just this talk of terpenes. And I know it's nothing mm -hmm. new. It relates to the essential oils, but just in learning and hops and like what they're doing to, you know, I mean, 
I guess craft beers really exploded over the last like 20 years of just that whole approach of, Hey, instead of doing it, everyone doing it one way, let's start exploring these different flavor profiles. Yeah. And it's, it seems to have exploded even more so since cannabis is legalized. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I just kind of been personally curious, like how much cannabis has kind of helped innovate to, to other industries. I'm going to keep my eye out for that now. All right. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just, that's, you know, I'll be smoking at night and my mind be yeah. thinking about that, I guess. <laughs> that's like way, that's way more like intellectual than what I think about when I'm smoking at night. <laughs> the aliens exist. Well, yeah, string theory, you know. <laughs> that's, that's funny, man. So um, awesome. Is there is there anything else that you feel like the people need to know about? This is where you can shamelessly plug or you can play it sly and coy. But is there oh, anything man. else people need to know about Green Mill Supercritical? You have to know that our doors are always open. I think that's what I'll say. Come see us in person. Call us. I am very quick to answer the phone. You know, we can do anything virtually these days, but we're an open book. Um, I think that, you know, people don't know what questions to ask. So, don't feel shy in not knowing anything. That's literally what we're here for, is to make sure that people are aware of all the options they have um, so that, you know, people can start to improve processes and hopefully we'll learn from craft beer, right? Like that's where cannabis is headed. You know, the Budweiser's and whatnot, there's going to be a handful. And then people are really, really, really going to have to get boutique with this in order to, you know, survive really. And so come learn how it's done before it's too late, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, you guys seem to have an open door policy for the questions. So you guys reach out. Their website is greenmillsupercritical.com. Is there any other, is that the best place to go get in contact with you guys? Or you got an email you want to plug or? Yeah, my email is just Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E at greenmillsupercritical.com. You can thank our marketing director for the extremely long uh, domain name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all right. It's not, it's not, it's not. It's not bad. It's not I mean, so at, least bad. It's, at least it's normal words. You know, you don't have to respell things. You know, that's where things get. <laughs> I've learned that from past businesses. Where like you spell this is the word. It's very common, but we spell it. You know, <laughs> what we thought was creative, but then when I have to explain it every time, it, just it's not creative sense. anymore. Yeah. So awesome. Well, I really appreciate you, Michelle, um, having this conversation, explaining. You know, some of the stuff I, I'm just personally wanted to learn. So whether the listeners out there got anything from it or not, I don't care. I got something out of it. But, <laughs> I'm sure they did as well. So I really appreciate you um, sharing your expertise. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, hopefully I'll catch you out in Pittsburgh at some point and, uh, you know, we'll stay in contact. Hope so. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 64. We'll see you guys next time.